Welcome to the Vision Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and everything happening at Vision, visit us online at visionnwa.com. Good morning, everyone. You're probably wondering what in the world is she doing on stage? She was just on the video. I have the honor and pleasure of ministering this morning. So welcome to Vision. I'm so glad you're here. So yes, first of all, let's pray because I wouldn't want to start any other way. So Father God, right now, Lord, thank you so much, first of all, for sending Jesus to die on the cross just for us. None of this would be possible without that. I thank you, Lord, for the freedom it gives us that we're able to walk and live in a life out like you did, Jesus. I thank you, Father God, for this day, for bringing every person here. They're supposed to be here. I thank you, Lord, that this word pierces their heart exactly where you want it to. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for touching my tongue, my lips right now, Father God. This is your body, your soul. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I'm yours. Speak your words through me now. I thank you, Lord, for this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was preparing this week and thinking about just on my mind and heart on what to speak, I didn't actually have a title, um, and I don't still really have a title, but what kept coming to my heart and mind was the word identity. Um, I am a, as I said on the video, a 25-year-old millennial, and so um, the world could tell me what that identity is, right? I could literally look it up on Google, and it would tell me what a 25-year-old millennial is probably thinking, what we're reading, what we're interested in, what we like, and the way that we should be, right? It's pretty easy to find. Well, when I was... 13 and going on 30, am I right? Um, I was so interested in discovering my own standards and my own identity and how was I going to know who I truly am through Jesus. But really even then I was like, who am I? Like, who do I want to be? And um, I remember my dad has told this story actually from this pulpit before, but I remember going to my mom and being like, mom, and you know, at that age, you're like, why can't I wear this type of swimsuit? Why can't I wear this, the short, short, you know, and just stuff like that, those petty things that come up. And I remember going to her and being like, mom, how am I gonna know that your standards are right? Like, how am I gonna know that I wanna live under those standards and that I don't wanna come up with my own standards? Or when am I gonna hit the age that I'm gonna be able to have my own standards? And she was so mature and amazing, like, Wow, I was the way she answered, it gave me so much freedom to go out and make my own standards. But she said, um, what was it? You said, yeah. You were like, I want you to look at your life, look at your you know, 12-year-old self, and look back. And of all the standards that we've set and the rules that we've had in our home, have any of them strayed you wrong? Have you felt contained by any, like you weren't allowed to do certain things, or did you have more freedom because of those standards that were in place? And she didn't expect me to answer then, praise the Lord, because I had to go back and just think it through and think about it. And I remember going back um, to my room and just honestly taking a look at my life and being like, is there anything I, I really hate? No. Is there anything I'm just like annoyed with? I mean, maybe, but I also realized that it helped 
that it literally was always something to protect me. It was never to harm me, it was always to love me. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that this morning because I know that's not just a 12-year-old Becca identity thing, that each person has to come to the time in their life where they have to look themselves in the face and be like, this is who you are, and so that's how I'm gonna carry myself, right? That's where your confidence comes from. So identity in the Merriam-Webster means the distinguishing character or personality of an individual individuality. It's a little bit of a scary word right now, but the relation established by psychological identification. So that would mean I'm Nicole Johnson's daughter. I'm Phil Johnson's daughter, right? That could be a way of me finding my identity. Do, do, do. Let's see. I wanted to dive into this because I've been in John recently in the Passion Translation. Ever, anyone in the Passion Translation? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, it's so good. But I went through the book of John, and I just made myself go through it and not even really read the footnotes because there's so many footnotes in the Passion, and I love diving into those, but I was like, no, I'm just going to read his words and see what I get from it. And I saw more of Jesus' identity and personality than I've ever seen before. And I was a little bit hesitant going into John because my personal favorite disciple is Peter because he was like, ah, and he was like, yeah, I'm going to get out on the water. Yeah, I'm going to do it. And he's actually like one of the only disciples that didn't even write a gospel because he was living it. Okay. Uh, but John was the emotional one. He was very like leaning on the heart of Jesus and just very moody. And I'm like, cool stuff, bro. But, you know, just always crying. And I was like, that's great. Um, but I like John. Anyway, so going through the book of John, I discovered a lot of Jesus' personality and his identity and the way that he sees himself. So I thought we could take some cues from the King of Kings, right? So in John 5, 14, actually pretty much the whole book uh, of John, but even the whole chapter 5 of John, in the Passion Translation, doo -doo -doo, there was a man, oh sorry, I make so many noises and I don't even think about it. There was a man that um, couldn't see. He was blind and Jesus healed him. And this is a verse that so, to me, it was the first time I saw the exclamation in the Bible. And I was like, what? Like I could literally see Jesus being like, I healed you, how cool. So here's what it says, John 5, 14. A short time later, Jesus found the man at the temple that he had healed and said to him, look at you now, exclamation point. You're healed, exclamation point. Walk away from your sin so that nothing worse will happen to you. I noticed from that that he genuinely loves people, that he wasn't just a Jesus that was like, you're healed, boop. All right, I'm going home, like, you know, to Nazareth or somewhere else. He was always interested in people's well-being. So when he came across the man again that he had healed, I don't even know how far. Maybe it was earlier that day, but he saw him again. It actually says he found him. Jesus found the man at the temple, and he said to him, look, you're healed. Like, how are you doing on this side of your healing, on this side of the miracle that I've given you? And I loved that that showed his personality. Now his identity is in John 6, 57. John 6, 57 says, am I done shaking yet? I think so, okay. The father of life sent me, this is Jesus speaking, 
the Father of life sent me, and he is my life. In the same way, the one who feeds upon me, I will become his life. Who is Jesus' life? His Father God, right? Who is our life? Jesus. That is where our identity is rooted and grounded in. How we see ourselves many times explains the filter of how we see the world and even how we see other people. The way that we love, the way that we trust, if it's not coming from that place of pure identity in the Lord, it's coming from past hurts. It's coming from even past experiences that you've built your life on. Last year, it was actually in October last year, um, I spoke at Vision and I spoke on getting back to default settings. And for me, what that meant was, if I have a simple thing like a fear of swimming in the ocean now because of almost drowning a couple years ago, I put that fear on me, right? That wasn't, I wasn't born with that fear. It came on me because of an experience I had and I accepted it. And I just added it to my belt like, okay, now I have that experience so I don't wanna maybe drown again. So I'm going to add this fear to me. That's not the way Jesus taught us to live. It's like every day is new, every day is fresh, and his mercies are new every morning, right? Okay. I love this story too. I remember um, being like 14 or 15, thinking about after high school one day and what I wanted to do and what I was dreaming of, and uh, thinking about modeling actually. And Many of you don't know this, but my mom modeled, and so did my aunt. My aunt was a runway model, and then my mom was an in-store like window model, or like a very expensive place where women would come in, and she would be the size of the woman and have to model all the clothes. So the woman wouldn't even put anything on. So it was one of those things, and I remember asking my mom about it, and like, what if I got into like modeling or whatever? <laughs> and uh, I remember she was like, all she said was, you've got to know who you are. Like, that's all she said. She was like, you've got to know who you are. Like, you can do that, but you've got to know who you are. Because um, she said, if you go in there and you don't have standards, you don't know your personal um, way of doing things or even your, your right or stance or ability to say no because you just want the job, um, you're going to end up probably in a place you don't want to be. And uh, so she was like, you've got to know who you are. And she told me that that comes with knowing who you are in Christ, when at that moment I didn't really totally grasp that, but now, um, 10 years later, it makes so much sense. So I love that God gives us the ability to discover our standards for us. He's not a pushy God at all. You can literally name your standards and live that way. Um, but it's amazing the grace and the um, favor on your life when you align your standards with his. And a lot of it just comes with loving people. So let's have some fun. This is one of my favorite parts. I've been wanting to do this all morning. So uh, one of my favorite books in high school was called When Science Fails. When Science Fails. Um, we were actually homeschooled, and so our curriculum was Christian-based. But the book is also Christian-based, which I loved, and it's about archaeology. But in 1955, you can put up the picture of the man with the, yeah, perfect, that's it, thanks. Um, Ferdinand Navarra, he was a French mountain climber who was interested in finding Noah's Ark, right? Where in the Bible does it say Noah's Ark landed? What mountain? 
Mount Ararat. He climbed Mount Ararat and was looking for the ark, him and his son, actually. And his son filmed Ferdinand chopping a five-foot-long beam of wood out of the glacial ice on Mount Ararat at the 13,000-foot level. I need to breathe. <laughs> Navarra had samples of the wood tested by three independent labs. The wood was 5,000 years old, contemporary of the global flood. The beam was cypress and cedar held together by pine sap, AKA gopher wood. And if you know the story, this is all lining up. Mount Ararat is volcanic. There are no trees within hundreds of miles of this find, meaning where in the world did that wood come from? At the top of the mountain in Mount Ararat. I love that story. The next one, Paul Emil Bata. This is one of my favorite stories. Um, he was actually an archaeologist who went to Iraq. And he found, well, he was actually looking for Nineveh. And what happened to Nineveh, guys? The book of Jonah, yes. So Jonah heard from God that he was supposed to go to Nineveh, right? So how can we find, you know, besides just hearing these biblical stories, how do we know they're true? How do we know that really happened? The ark could be on Mount Ararat, maybe not, you know, those type of things. Well, he actually went to Iraq and he started digging in some mounds that people drove by every day and had no idea there was a city underneath them. And so I absolutely love that. And it says in the article that his work opened the way for scriptural accounts of places and events that took place there to be validated. I love how God always proves his word. He always validates things. This next one is crazy. We talked about Jonah. Has anyone heard of James Bartley? Nobody? Cool. This is my story. Awesome. Bartley, I'm going to read it because I want to get it right. James Bartley, he actually worked on a whaling vessel. He had gone to sea on the Star of East, a whaling vessel. A lookout on the mast stood watch in the crow's nest to search for whales. So their job was to catch whales, kill them, I'm so sorry, and like, you know, like um, get all the blubber and everything out and use all of that from the whale. And so it says that there was a lookout, a man looking out on the mast, stood watch in the crow's nest to search for whales. Whales are mammals and they must come up to the surface to breathe air. The lookout noticed the spray of water from a whale's blowhole from a great distance and shouted, there she blows. James Bartley was one of the oarmen in the first boat to reach the whale. They pulled swiftly, silently on the oars. The harpooner waited at the bow. Then as they drew alongside the whale, the harpooner sent the harpoon flying. Immediately the seaman began to began back oaring to reach clear water. A blow from the massive tail of the whale would shatter the small whale boat. Suddenly the line went slack. The whale surfaced under the boat. The blow threw the men into the air and shattered the boat. Another longboat picked them up, but James Bartley was never found. The others thought he had drowned just at sundown. I typed this, I did a typo. Just at sundown, the dying whale floated to the surface. The crew threw new harpoons into the animal and pulled it to the ship. They worked by lantern light, skinning away the thick blubber. 
In the flickering lantern light, one of the men working with the flushing shovels noticed movement in the whale's stomach. He called the ship's doctor. The doctor split open the stomach. A human foot, still wearing a shoe, became visible. They ripped open the stomach and pulled out James Bartley. He was in pain and unconscious, but he still lived. When Bartley explained how it happened, he said, I was flung into the air, and as I fell back, the whale's tremendous mouth opened. I screamed. I remember fighting for my breath and kicking about. Then I fainted dead away. And then actually, he never went sailing again. <laughs> but... <laughs> Seriously, that is a true story. I'm not saying, actually, from that story, that's why people are thinking it might have been a whale or might have, you know, we don't know what it was, but James Bartley's story. But that's an actual story. That was in 1888, I remember saying. But, yeah, you can look it up. Do your own homework, okay? But, anyways, I loved how God proves his word. I'm not saying he, you know, made that happen. No, not at all. But he, he's not a liar, he literally, he knows what he's talking about. So when he's putting identity in you and when he's putting truth in you, they're there for a reason and they're going to come out. All right. John 6, 57. John 6, 57. Again, in the Passion Translation. God, I do the Passion. I love that you must find out whose you are to know who you are. Right? Um, has anyone in here like seeing themselves because of their family, or I'm not saying this right, um, been in a situation where someone's like, hello, like nice to meet you, who are you? And what's your first thing to explain? Like, oh, I'm the owner of this company, or I'm married to this person, or, you know, just like whatever to you your identity is. Anybody? Just me, sort of? Okay. Um, well, when we were in Colorado, my brother and I went to Colorado last year, and um, we were sitting with a group of people, and the whole topic was identity. And I remember I just started crying, and I had no idea why. I was like, okay, why am I crying? And God showed me on that trip how much I had had my identity and what I did. And because I remember almost every person I said hello to, the Holy Spirit showed me how, or he, you know, he'll just turn the light bulb on, but I would be like, hi, I'm Becca, and then if they wanted to talk more, I'd be like, yeah, so like, we traveled for five years, and like, this is what we did, and this, and like, here's my heart on this, and I just, I was always trying to give a reason, or an excuse, it sounds like now, to just validate why I'm there, right, and how I can be there, and I love the phrase my mom says, I'm saying a lot of my mom, she inspires me so much, uh, she's amazing, but, um, and it's like, when you walk into a room, act like you're supposed to be there. But in that way, I don't hear that as a cocky thing. What I hear as a cocky thing is being like needing to validate who you are and why you're supposed to be there. When no, you just walk with your head up and your shoulders back, but loving every person you come in contact with and always walking in a room being like, oh, there you are. Hi, Sharon. How are you? Like, how's your day? You know, like, Hey, Kylie, Pierce, how are you guys doing? How's your day? You know, and just always focusing on others because then people are like, oh, my word. Like, they know who they are. And by knowing who we are, we've got to know whose we are. So what did I say? John 6, 57. It's the same scripture I said earlier. 
but it works right here too. The father of life sent me and he is my life. In the same way, the one who feeds upon me, I will become his life. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Because I love how God is the only one that can make totally new things. Has anyone read Ecclesiastes? It's kind of like, like this, but I love it. Um, but <laughs> um, I think it's Solomon. Is it Solomon, right? I think it's Solomon. Yes, yep. That did Ecclesiastes, and it basically says that nothing is new under the sun. So everything's come around and around again. And I love how people are like shocked, like, oh my word, we wore that in the 80s. I was not living in the 80s, but we wore that in the 80s and it's back. And I'm like, Ecclesiastes, everything comes out and around again. Um, so with that said, God is the only one that can truly make a new thing. And I'm gonna prove it. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. And then Isaiah 43.19. I had to do this one. This was actually the scripture when we were moving here. It was spoken over our family because we knew God was doing a new thing. It's Isaiah 43.19. It says... Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He is the only one that can do a truly new thing. These are three things that I personally did, um, and they helped me find my identity in who God created me to be. And one, it was discovering him. And listen to that. I didn't say discovering me and discovering my truth, okay? It was discovering him, discovering Jesus first. Number two, trusting him. Because when you discover him, you can't help but trust him. Especially when you see what he's done in your life. Um, we grew up in a family that's, I know this is not every family, but we were always very open. My parents um, were very open with Zach and I about even finances. I'm not saying when we were super little, but I mean when we were old enough to know. Um, that mom and dad were believing in faith for finances, <laughs> like we knew, and so that we also stood in faith for it. So then when it was their miracle, it was our miracle. And then when I was able to walk out my own decisions as an adult, I knew what to do because I had been trained, because I saw God's faithfulness in their life, and it became our life that I knew he'd be faithful in mine. So I just wanna encourage you in that. You can start that for you. And number three, living the adventure. I love this word adventure because adventures have ups and adventures have downs, right? But they always end like happy. <laughs> they always end in the right place. Um, I know a girl who's engaged and we've talked about this, especially through 2020. It's like, how can I still like, yeah, have joy in 2020 and be like, this is not the end of the world. We're gonna be okay. Um, and I love how God has literally showed me it's an adventure. Every new season, too. Every new season, I'm like, I don't know what to do. This is crazy. And then God's like, live the adventure. You know, you're the only one that can live the adventure for you. Like, I can't live Susanna's adventure. That's for you. I can live my adventure. I can't live your adventure. I can live my adventure. And so living the adventure. I want to dive into one of my favorite Bible stories ever. Has anyone seen the Ten Commandments? Charleston Heston, Yul Brenner, 
Oh my word. Oh, my guy is right here. So, hello. He looks like Yul Brenner. I love it. Um, but the Ten Commandments. <laughs> the Ten Commandments is <laughs> okay. Okay, please. <laughs> but um, Moses. So in Exodus, you hear about Moses, and I love how God used Moses when Moses in his own life without God basically had an identity crisis. Like he had so much going on. Moses in the Bible knew what he thought to be his only identity, right? He, um, okay, let's just go through it so I don't mess it up. In Exodus 2, 1 through 3, I'm going to open it up too so I can go through it. Exodus 2... I'm obviously not in the passion. I would be if they had it done, but they don't have it done yet, so. Got to do the message. Exodus 2. Yep, 1 through 3. A man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and had a son. She saw there was something special about him and hid him. She hid him for three months. When she couldn't hide him any longer, she got a little basket boat made of papyrus, waterproofed it with tar and pitch, and placed the child in it. Then she set it afloat in the reeds at the edge of the Nile. Something here that really stood out to me was, how many of us are now still living under the identity of someone maybe in our family that placed us somewhere that we did not have a say about it, or that maybe we grew up in a certain situation or bond that we weren't able to make a choice about and are still living in that identity and maybe still have unforgiveness in that spot. I mean, Moses never chose where he ended up, but he ended up there. Like, I think about Joseph. Joseph had a choice, right? He could have been nicer to his brothers and probably not ended up in a pit. Moses ended up at Pharaoh's doorstep, no choice whatsoever. And so he lived out and walked out his identity because he was placed there. And he did that until God changed it. But anyways, let's keep going. Exodus 2, 4 through 10. The baby's older sister found herself a vantage point a little way off and watched to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter came down to the Nile to bathe. Her maiden strolled on the bank. She saw the basket floating in the reeds and sent her maid to get it. She opened it and saw the child, a baby crying. Her heart went out to him. She said, this must be one of the Hebrew babies. And so she goes ahead and takes the baby, has him weaned, and then raises the baby. But I love also where it says in verse 10, she named him Moses. She also named him. You know that his birth mom didn't name him? Like his, his new mom, because of a placement that he wasn't even supposed to be in, they named him, right? And he still walked out his God-given identity, even with that name. All right, let's keep going. It says in Exodus 2.15, Pharaoh heard about what happened. So Moses was out one day walking around, checking out the, you know, I just pictured Charleston Heston just walking out there with that green screen, that really bad green screen. I love that movie, but it's really cheesy. And, uh, and watching all the slaves, and then he sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite. And so he goes out and he fights and he actually kills the Egyptian. Well, Pharaoh, you can see where his allegiance lies, obviously. Uh, he said he heard about it and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses got away to the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. Whenever he got to Midian, I love this, how his, 
his, okay, deadline, wrong word, his vision, his purpose never changed. Like whenever he was helping out the Israelite, I don't know if he meant to kill the Egyptian, but that happened. And then he goes to Midian, and what's the first thing he comes across? He's at a well, there's the high priest's daughters are out watering the sheep, and Moses comes up, and there's actually like some shepherds that are trying to mess with them. And so he beats them up, and then they run away. I mean, just like bam, bam, straight to straight. And then he, um, let's go to Exodus 2, 16 and 17. Nope, that's just what I said. Next one, Exodus 3, 1 and 4. Mm-mm-mm. Moses um, ended up staying in Midian, and the high priest of Midian gave him his eldest daughter to marry, and so he stayed in Midian. And he was shepherding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the west end of the wilderness and came to the mountain of God. I love that he just came upon it, just came to the mountain of God. The angel of God appeared to him in flames of fire, blazing out of the middle of a bush. He looked, the bush was blazing away, but it didn't burn up. Let's see where this says. Moses said, what's going on here? I can't believe this. Amazing. Why doesn't the bush burn up? God saw that he had stopped to look. God called to him from out of the bush, Moses, Moses. I love that it says God saw that he stopped to look. So, I mean, Moses could have kept, you know, like herding the flocks and kept working and kept shepherding and doing what he knew to do. But he silently, I mean, he just went to the mountain of God and God saw. God saw that he stopped to look, that he was attracted. He was attracted to God. You know, I do believe that people are going to be so attracted to the Jesus in you. We pray a lot of times for our even unsaved relatives and we say, God, I thank you that you bring someone in their life that they're attracted to, that knows you. Because, I mean, they're obviously not listening to us. But bring someone in their life that they're so attracted to that has you all over them. And then they befriend, and that's the way God does it. But I do believe here, too, that we're and you are going to be those people in families' lives around here that are believing that. That you're the people that your coworkers see Jesus in you, and they're like, oh, my word. What? Like, what is this? I love how Hannah has so many stories on that. She's amazing. All right, next one. Exodus 3, 1 through 4, God saw that he stopped to look. And how Moses said, yes, I'm right here. Moses was so ready. And then Exodus 3, 11 through 12, Moses answered God. God told him that he wants him to go to Egypt. So back to his what? Former identity. And I want you to rescue my people. It's been long enough. The time has turned. Here we go. And it says, Moses answered God, but why me? What makes you think that I could ever go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'll be with you, God said, and this will be proof that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought my people out of Egypt, you will worship God right here at this very mountain. Mm -mm -mm. I love that so much. And then it says, Moses raised another objection to God. Master, please, I don't talk well. I've never been good with words, neither before nor after you spoke to me. I stutter and stammer. God said, and who do you think made the human mouth? I love how God's like, 
Are you kidding me? And who do you think made the human mouth? And who makes some mute, some deaf, some sighted, some blind? Isn't it I, God? So get going. I'll be right there to teach you what to say. Mm, I have so much more about Moses. But what I love about that story is, as I said, his identity, the person he was, was already chosen for him. He walked it out, he did it. And then I love how he was able to still, in love, go back to Egypt and go to the same people that raised him, the same people that he learned all the values of life from. He had a change with God, he got God's heart, and then he was able to move on with his life and go back to that same place where maybe he wouldn't have been honored. But look what God did in Moses and the millions of people that not only left limping, they didn't leave limping, they didn't leave in pain, they didn't leave from the bruises of their slave time in Egypt. They left rejoicing. They left excited, so happy. And so today I wanted to just hopefully remind you who your identity is, what it's in, and that he's such a sweet, sweet God. And he's never a God that wants to be like, I want you because I need you. Like he wants you because he wants you. He wants you because he loves you. He wants you because you're the only Larry on earth and he wants you to be that Larry. He wants you to be Bailey, the only Bailey that's you. And I love how he's so unique and he's so personal and he doesn't love us all the same. He loves us all uniquely. Why would he make so many different kinds of people? The disciples, the disciples, all different personalities, all different backgrounds, all different kinds of men. And look what God did. Look how he connected them. He knew how to talk to Peter. He knew how to talk to Peter and he knew how to talk to John. He knew how to talk to each individual in the way that they would take it and by their heart because he knitted that heart just like he did everyone in here. So I'm just gonna pray. I hope this spoke to you this morning. It definitely spoke to me, but let's just pray and allow Jesus everything. So Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for that word. I thank you, Father God, that it will not return back to us void. I thank you, Lord, that it goes out and it accomplishes for what it was sent for. I thank you, Father God, for just, um, let's see, propelling and excelling the vision and the plans and the identity in people now, even if they've gone 20, 30, 40 years and haven't truly claimed the identity that you have for them. I thank you, Lord, for just bringing that to them right now. I thank you, Father God, that they're able to walk with their shoulders back, their head held high, knowing whose they are so they can know who they are. I thank you, Father God, that they find truth, that they find love and they find joy and it only comes in you. I thank you, Lord, you're the only one that makes all this make sense. You're the only one that makes all of this make sense. I thank you, Father God, for what you are doing here and now. We open our, our, our arms to you, our hands, our heart. I thank you, Father God, it's you and nothing else. I thank you, Father God, for what you are doing in this nation, in this country. I thank you, Father God, that we will pray. I thank you, Lord, for what you are doing. And we just honor respect. And we know that this has not caught you by surprise, none of this, even where we are today. I thank you, Lord, that we are there on purpose for a purpose. Father God, we love you so much and we honor and respect you. 
thank you for choosing us. Thank you for loving on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just search Vision Church. If you would like to help support this ministry, you can do so at visionnwa.com forward slash give.